You comfy? As comfy as I'll ever be. You got your book out to the right chapter? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Eleven. <Yes>. Twelve. <laughs> that scared me for a second. <laughs> but I used a different colored pen this time, unlike the last five chapters. So nice. I know for a fact this is the right one. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing Chapter 12, Suspicions of Assassin's Quest. <laughs> the beginning part is very short this time in this chapter, which is weird juxtaposed against the very long chapter this is. <laughs> <laughs> right. I guess Robin Hobb didn't want to waste any time on, you know, the intro blurb. There's too right. much to get through. A lot of it's pretty much repeat information anyways. It's just talking about how addictive the skill is. And it's hard to describe the feeling of that addiction or what the skill can give you. And how you can grow stronger the more you use it. But that also increases the draw and the addiction to the skill. Right. This felt a little deja vu-ish. And I'm not sure if that's because we're rereading this book and... I read this book multiple times, but I feel like this exact description was used maybe last book to describe. I could be could wrong. Maybe not like the exact examples, but I feel like we had something pretty similar to this description. Yeah. Last I think it was, book. was you think it was last book? I it might have been the beginning of this book, but I thought it was like the first book, maybe like when he's learning about the skill, but I could be I wrong. I don't know. But something about this felt very deja vu to me. Yeah, but these descriptors, I think, are different than the first time around. It's a rising covey of pheasant on a crisp autumn morning, or catching the wind's benefit perfectly in the boat's sails, or the first mouthful of a hot savory stew after a cold and a hungry day. These are all sensations that hover for only a moment. The skill sustains that sensation for as long as the strength of the user lasts. Yeah, I guess these are more relevant to fits now like these descriptions of happiness <laughs> i think they are a little bit different at least wording wise right. or topic wise even than the other ones but the same feeling is the same of this description it's just those fleeting moments but sustained forever <laughs> as right. long as you can withstand the the skill and your strength holds up yep so the chapter itself is taking place after we have our encounter with Tassin. Yes. Fitz has gone off by himself. Tassin has gone back to her wagon and he is sitting up still watching over the flock as the people of the caravan come wandering back in nice and drunk. Right. And unfortunately, nobody offers to take his spot. So he is going to be up for over 24 hours. <laughs> yep. It's because uh, everyone's probably passing out. And it, Fitz notices the next day that after drinking together, folk often form some sort of bond together. So Damon lets Crease, you know, drive the wagon around while Damon recovers from his hangover. And Fitz is kind of left watching the flock by himself. And right. Just a little bit more included. 
Right. Yeah. And the whole group seems a little bit more friendly with each other overall, um, except for the fact that they're all grumpy that they have to get going early in the morning. Right. Because Madge is not going to let anybody go back into town and waste another day. So. So they continue on and then stop around noon, take a little break, and Fitz goes to a watering place to rinse out his kerchief from his hair, wash his face, get the grit out of his eyes and everything, and Starling comes up next to him and says, I'd keep that kerchief on if I were you. I wrung it out and retied it about my head. I do. It does nothing to keep the dust from my eyes, though. Starling looked at me levelly. It's not your eyes you should worry about. It's that white shock of hair. You should black it with grease and ash tonight, if you get a private moment. It might make it a bit less noticeable. I looked questioningly at her, trying to keep my expression bland. She smiled at me archly. King's Regal, King Regal's guards had been through that water town just a few days before we arrived. They told the folk there that the king believed that the pocked man would be crossing Pharaoh, and you with him. She paused, expecting me to say something. When I just looked at her, her grin widened. Or perhaps it's some other fellow with a broken nose, scar down his face, white streak in his hair, and, she gestured toward my arm, a fresh sword slash up his forearm. So she has her very strong suspicions, ooh, title drop, <laughs> <laughs> that Fitz is the wit bastard that should be dead. Right. That the town guards that we saw last chapter pass them by, came through and warned the town about. Yeah, and this is really interesting because Starling is not scared or menacing. She seems pretty excited, which we know is because she's looking for adventure and a tale. And what better tale to tell than the living wit bastard that everyone thought was dead? Right. Yeah. And so he kind of, you know, banters with her, also saying, like, no, I'm not him. It must be somebody else, you know, playing off all of this kind of uh, his injuries and the similarities with different stories. And she says, well, I'd keep your kerchief on anyway to prevent anyone else from making the same mistake. She paused, then canted her head at me. I'm a minstrel, you see. I'd rather witness history than make it or change it. But I doubt all the others in the caravan feel that way. I underline this line because to me it struck so opposite of the fool. I don't know if you had that thought too, but the fool is very nice. much involved yeah. with mimicking or not mimicking, um, altering history yes. or altering the course of what's right. coming up. Yeah, he definitely has his fingers in changing the path and meddling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely a meddler. And Starling doesn't really care what happens. She just wants to see it. So I just think it's so interesting that we have these two characters. They are that, really interesting foils to one another. Yeah. Especially later when they do meet and the the interactions and yes. the thoughts they have about <laughs> one another is interesting as well. It really feels like Starling is more of a moral gray. Yeah. Whereas... The fool is more morally black and white. Yes. If if you are thinking about how they perceive themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think the fool is also very, very morally gray. If you just perceive oh, what for sure. Yes. I mean, but <laughs> to be fair, I feel like his more morality stems around the ends justify the means. 
And yes, exactly. Exactly. Starling is more like, I don't care what the ends or the means are as long as I can see it. Right. right. So a different type of morally gray. Mm-hmm. So they get on their way again and they're heading on their own. And this conversation with Starling gets into Fitz's head. But not enough to make him dye his hair black, like she said. Well, not dye, but, <laughs> right. you know, ash in his hair, which doesn't matter, as we'll see later on. But I remember the first time reading this, as well as on the reread, when I couldn't quite remember what happened next, where I'm like, come on, Fitz, that's such a good idea. Why wouldn't you? And then when he explains why later, I'm like, OK, yeah. well. It's in a little bit, so I can, I guess I'll say it now because it's relevant. Right. He ends up plucking out a lot of his gray hairs, so it's not like a big white streak instead it's kind of speckled throughout right uh, the top of his head a little bit more so it doesn't look as you know a white shock which is weird to me because i picture fitz's white streak like as pretty substantial i guess and the idea of plucking that much hair out to make it look sparse seems like you would just have a bald spot right. but apparently that is not the case so mm-hmm. that was I think interesting to think about on this reread. He also does mention that he did not take Starling's suggestion. This is later on because uh, for a close inspection of that streak, it would look like he purposely tried to cover it up. Right. And it would not hold up to a close inspection. And also it would also, you know, give away to Starling that she was right. And even though she's fairly certain she's right, they're kind of playing that cat and mouse game of, no, I'm just Tom the Shepherd. Right. Yeah, of course you are. Wink, wink. Mm-hmm. And we'll never acknowledge it again. So if he actually went those steps, I think to him, it would be admitting that, yes, this person knows who I am now. Right. And they're in on it. Right. And that is scary because he doesn't know Starling yet. So it's really hard to judge if she is a safe character to trust. Mm-hmm. And so that conversation really does bring him down and He says, I let my despair over Molly and our child drag me down. I'd let my guard down. I hadn't been fearful enough on my own behalf. Now it occurred to me that if Regal's guard managed to find me, they'd kill me. Then I'd never see Molly or our daughter. Somehow that seemed worse than the threat to my life. So he's finally thinking of consequences again because he was high on the hope that he got from... (laughs) Seeing his daughter born and maybe like looking forward to a future and then hadn't come quite around to, oh, I have to be super careful then because I won't have a future if I am caught. Right. It's kind of nice to see after the last, I don't know, 10 chapters we've had of Fitz not really caring about his life. Right. Um, From a caring standpoint, I don't like seeing him go through that. So I feel grateful that even though it's not necessarily about him valuing his life, there's still something driving him to be more careful. Obviously, too little too late. But I appreciate that he has something to look forward to enough to value his life a little. Yeah, definitely. Let's settle down for the night of that travel and... Starling gets out her harp and starts singing. Starts to entertain people. And they kind of, uh, the people in town are kind of like uh, badgering her. Like, oh, you sang well even if you're from Buck and you only mm-hmm. sing Buck songs. So obviously they listen to her play in town as well. Right. The people from town that went to town, not the town people. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the caravan, the people in the caravan who went to town are, you know, nudging her a little bit. 
and uh, she she was playing for them, entertaining them. The puppeteers got the night off, uh, and Fitz is like, well, I'm just going to go to sleep at the edge of the fire. And all of a sudden, he hears Antler Island Tower, those words, and he's jolted awake and starts listening in. She was singing about the battle there last summer, the Rurisk's first real engagement with the Red Ship Raiders. I recalled both too much and very little about that battle. As Verity had observed more than once, despite all Hod's weapons' instruction, I tended to revert to brawling in any sort of fight. And in Starling's song, he is the, the full-blown hero. He is the one who killed the chief of the raiding party, and he says he'd never know if that was real or not. Yep. Which I think it is because the Out Islanders that were on their side kind of came up to him and gave that token afterwards. But, you know, it could have just been like a well-respected warrior or a friend of those people's, not necessarily the leader. Yeah, Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see this from Fitz's perspective because he isn't really somebody who takes praise well, let alone this rent hero's rendition of this horrific time because now that he has lived through it he knows that as pretty as the words sound it was actually horrible to live through and he doesn't know that his axe actually glinted like fire coming down he just knows that it smelled like blood and people dying says it was strangely humiliating to hear those deeds sung of as noble and now almost legendary I knew there were many fighters who dreamed of having songs sung about their exploits. I found the experience uncomfortable. And he says all the ale and buck keep that night had not been enough to bring me any sort of peace. Right. And I think this is a really cool thing that Hobb is doing here of giving us more insight into fits and just kind of a realistic look of what it might feel like if you go to war and then people are like praising your actions when you don't necessarily feel like they're that great. Right. Especially coming from Fitz, a character we know who already belittles himself and doesn't think that highly of anything he's doing. But I understand that here, this is death and carnage and horribleness to live through, whether or not you're on the winning side or the morally right side, it's still war. And right. it probably does feel a little dirty to be praised for killing people. It, I don't know. I feel bad for him. Also, we know that he hates everything about his assassin side. So this probably rubs him wrong for that reason, too. Yeah, maybe. I, I feel like he takes after Verity a little bit. And this, the the actual deed of going into battle wouldn't bother him as much as if he had to go and assassinate all of those people yeah. individually. I feel like it's just, this is, you know, romanticizing the battle that I remember being absolutely horrible. Right. <laughs> I I guess I feel like Fitz doesn't like death of any kind. Right. Yeah, I mean, he can feel it. Oh, with yeah. The wit. Like it, he's sensitized to it in a way that not many people are. Right. And so I feel like that's maybe why I'm thinking he's not as excited as right. equally so with his assassin part. Maybe he 
like you said, feels like it's more honorable. Like they're they have a fighting chance in a way. I I think that's kind of the case personally because of how he was raised with Burek and Verity. They're both right. very straightforward, you know. Right. And he never really took after the Jade side <laughs> in that regard. Yeah, that's fair enough. But anyways, that song concludes and again the people in the caravan kind of say, "Oh, so that's the the one that you refuse to sing in town, you know." And they talk about the deeds and how it's an odd song. And Starling is, you know, saying, well, it's a Buck song and he was well regarded in Buck for a while. It's not that weird to have a song about him in a positive light. Right. There's still some in Buck who would tell you that not all his tale has been told. And the bastard was not so black as he's been tarred of late. And she goes into some rumors that people have been talking about. So Madge says, I still don't understand it. I thought he was executed for using the wit to kill King Shrewd. And she tells the actual true story a little bit, at least some true details about it. Right. She says, uh, so some say about that, but the truth of it, that he died in his cell before they could, you know, burn him. So he was buried without, you know, without being burned or anything like that of any exaggeration. And she goes through some <laughs> definite folktale kind of thing here mm-hmm. where uh, when spring came, not a leaf of greenery would grow on his grave. An old wise woman hearing this knew that his wit magic still slept in his bones and might be claimed by any bold enough to pull a tooth from his mouth. So she went to dig him up, found that the grave was um, or the coffin was empty and burst from and busted open from the inside. So he was still alive and he was gone or whatever. And one man told it to me that caught in the splintered edge of the coffin lid were coarse gray hairs of a wolf's coat. There's a moment longer the silence held then. Not truly, Madge asked Starling. Her fingers ran lightly over her harp strings. So I heard it told in Buck. But I also heard the Lady Patience, she that buried him, say it was all nonsense. That his body had been cold and stiff when she washed it and wrapped it in a grave cloth. And of the pocked man that King Regal fears so, she declared he is no more than an old advisor of King Shrewd's, some old recluse with a scarred face, come out of his hermitage to keep alive a belief that Verity still lives and lend heart to those who must go on battling the red ships. So, I suppose you can choose to believe whichever you wish. They kind of brush over that, sweep into a love ballad that everybody sings, and that's that. Right. So... The story of this old woman, which you forgot my favorite part, that when she was digging up the grave, it's in the pale full moon. Right. Yeah. The light of the full moon. Um, But I'm wondering, do you think this is Chade's doing? Do you think this is a Chade story that he released as rumors? No, I don't think so, because... That would put Fitz's life in danger, and I don't think he would do that. Because that creates the story that Fitz is still alive. That, I suppose. That puts out into the world that, oh, he was wicked with wit and, you know, transformed into a wolf mm-hmm. and evaded death. And if you find him, like, then it's fine to kill him kind of thing. So I don't think that would be his doing. I think this would be more on Regal's side, if anything. But... Yeah. Interesting. I didn't think that way at all. I thought it could be Chade because it gives the hope 
that something ma- uh, magical had happened, but it also makes Regal seem less competent. Also, he knows Fitz probably won't be found and trusts Fitz's ability to not be caught, I think. Although if he had seen Fitz as of late, maybe he wouldn't think that way. <laughs> but I don't know. I It just reeks of Chade to me because he's so <laughs> into like old wives tales and superstitions. Right. And yeah. the like old lady who talked about it, I feel like could have been Chade in disguise. I, I get that. I just I, I really think it would be too brazen of him to do that mm. because like you said, oh, it, it associates magic with Fitz, but that's what they don't want because that magic that Fitz is associated with it and they're strengthening with this story is the one that got him killed. Well, so, but hear me out. Chade doesn't have a problem with magic. Right, I know. So, But he I, know, he's smart. He knows that other people do. Sure. I just don't think he has an extreme aversion the way Burek does. And so therefore might think maybe if we make it mystical, people will like it more. I don't know. I mean, obviously I'm speculating on all of this, but I just feel like I wouldn't be surprised. I also know that he would think about patients who would definitely refute this claim because she buried him and would not let people talk about her son that way. Yeah. So maybe it was a calculated move, hoping that the right thing would come about. I don't know. I'm just trying to think that part through, and I, I feel like in order for that to have come about, you would literally have to target a minstrel or two who had access to those stories and to Lady Patience, because no common folk are going to listen or have access to hear what Lady Patience has to say, you know? Why not? She's way more prominent now. She doesn't she's not a recluse. She's talking to everybody. She's getting her hands dirty and being with the common folk because she yeah. needs to rally them. I know. I just I I can't I don't think I can take that into my own canon. I don't think Chade would do that to risk Fitz's life like that. Doesn't fit with my idea of his character. Mm. So. I guess I don't see that as being a problem because he has no problem risking Fitz's life all the time. I I get that. I just see no benefit whatsoever to bring it up. It puts doubt on Regal. I don't know. Could be possible. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think you're going to convince me. Yeah, I I won't (laughs) convince you, but I just don't. I we just don't see eye to eye on this. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) So they move on and Fitz is left there thinking about what she brought up intentionally because he knows she intentionally stirred up these thoughts about fits himself and it it doesn't and it does have the intended effect that starling was going for kind of (laughs) so the next day um they travel a little bit more and then they camp at night and fitz has the first watch and tassin comes down to him and confronts him about hey, you're him, aren't you? So obviously the night before Starling's mention of him and discussion and then hearing from the guards within the town or the stories of the guards within that watering town and the warnings of that they're looking for this description right. brought Tassin to this conclusion that he is the witted bastard. To clarify, Tassin did not hear the guards' stories. She heard it secondhand yeah, that correct. night. From somebody else. Yeah, because she was back at camp. Right. Yeah. 
And so she confronts him and starts off by saying, you're him, aren't you? She demanded breathlessly. There was a very slight edge of fear in her voice. And through this whole conversation, Fitz is very defensive. He's like, no, I'm not. I'm just Tom. Um, Kind of the same thing he did with Starling, except even more confrontational because she's younger and and she's trying to get money out of him, trying to bribe him for silence or get a bribe for silence, I should say, from him. And he's just saying, like, no, you're just overreacting. You're a dumb girl. Like, don't blow this. I'm just Tom the Shepherd. Like, what are you trying to, to do here kind of thing? And eventually she storms off. And her last thing is saying, like, well, by my silence, when we get to Blue Lake, you better give me your master's money that you earn by doing this trip kind of thing. So Fitz is sitting there, and then Starling comes by <laughs> and immediately starts talking about Tassin. Right. She says, I hope you didn't give her money, and talks about how he would be the fourth father of the imaginary baby that she's been asking for herbs to kill. So <laughs> Fitz is shocked by this. Well, he's not quite shocked until... He replies, well, I wouldn't be able to be tricked that way. I haven't laid with her. And Starling says, oh, you must be the only man in camp that hasn't then. And that really is like, whoa, wait a second, what? He says, then I thought about it and wondered if I would ever reach a place in which I ceased finding out how stupid I could be. I don't think he does. Nope. So so never change, Fitz. So... This piques Starling's interest that there's no way he could have gotten her pregnant, because if not, then why was Tassin here clearly asking for something that wasn't to go to bed with her? And Fitz tries to play dumb. There's he doesn't know what she's talking about. And. And they kind of move on a little bit here. They. They switch subjects, or at least Fitz tries to switch the subject. And she starts talking about it as well and asks what he plans to do after this, because she's still convinced he's a bastard. He's still being like, I'm Tom the Shepherd. So he's like, I'm going to collect my pay. And she's like, oh, I thought I might go to the mountains. What about you? (laughs) Do you think Starling's plan was always to go to the mountains, whether or not she would have met Fitz here? I feel like, yes, I feel like she was going to seek out Ketrickin. To Fair find enough. some sort of story with that. Right. Well, especially because there's the, the news of her baby. So right. at the very least, maybe she could witness the birth, the birth of the first child. Yeah, something like that. And so she says, songs are more likely to be found clinging to a man than bound to a place. place, she suggested. I thought you might be going to the mountains as well. We could travel together. You've still that idiotic notion that I'm the bastard, I accused her flatly. She grinned. The bastard. The witted one. Yes. You're wrong, I said flatly. And even if you were right, why follow him to the mountains? I'd take the chance for a bigger profit and sell him to the king's guard. With a hundred gold pieces, who'd need to make songs? She gave a small sound of disgust. You've more experience with the king's guard than I have, I'm sure. But even I've enough to know that a minstrel who tried to claim that reward would probably be found floating in the river a few days later, while some guardsmen became suddenly very wealthy. 
No, I've told you. I'm not after gold, bastard. I'm after a song. Don't call me that, I warned her sharply. She shrugged and turned away. After a moment, she twitched as if I'd poked her and then turned back to me with a grin widening across her face. Ah, I believe I worked it out. That's how Tassin was squeezing you, isn't it? Asking for money to still her tongue. And that's true. She was. She was looking for silence money. Right. And Fitz refuses to answer. So Starling makes the comment that it's good of him not to give her money because that would only make her think she was correct. It wouldn't save him. And with that, she gets up to leave and Fitz calls her sure-footed as a goat, even in the moonlight. She reminded me briefly of Molly. And this comes after watching Tassin walk down the hill and tripping and falling yep. <laughs> and then getting up. But I think it's funny because we know later he does get together with Starling and they have this weird friends with benefits-esque relationship. And I think that the reason he's so drawn to Starling is because she's a strong woman who yeah. is very sure of herself. She's confident, sure of herself. She's pretty quick-witted and right. is smart and can figure things out, obviously. <laughs> Clearly very smart. Mm -hmm. And I think really that's just his type is women who can hold their own. Molly Ketrickin, although he refuses to let himself into that one. And mm -hmm. then Starling, yeah. Yeah. Although I think he's more gets more annoyed with Starling than True. the other two. True. Um, maybe she, because he spent more time with her. <laughs> she also pushes him quite a she bit does. for other things so well and it has different outlooks on life as well that's true so yeah she's a very interesting character i i like her and i don't like her it's a very strange i don't know how quite she, how to feel she's a good character but you mm -hmm. can personally not like her if you want. <laughs> no I, I do like her i like a lot about her i feel like some of her choices i don't approve of it's a lot like fitz <laughs> i don't approve of all of his choices but I like him. I mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. So as Starling leaves, Fitz thinks about how he was planning to run away tonight. But after this conversation, there's really no way he could run away and not have Tassin and Starling know who he is. Right. Yeah. It would just confirm that he wasn't just Tom the Shepherd. And that's... Kind of unfortunate timing on his part. He can, yeah, he considers yeah. and then reconsiders it. So he's exactly. thinking through everything, which is good. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> he also laments that he wasted the early months of summer being a wolf, and if he hadn't done that, he'd already be in the mountains by now. Right, and instead he's going to have to face winter in the mountains, which will be rough. Definitely. And again, he's feeling that loneliness come up in him. He has to keep himself so contained with the skill that he misses the connection that he has with other people. You know, he, he could he can feel Verity just at his fingertips. If he just would let the skill walls down and reach out for him, he could get to Verity. He's missing Molly and Beric, but if he just lets the skill walls down and reach out, he could touch them. But he can't for his own and their own protections. So he's feeling more like the skill walls that he's erected for protection are more like a cage at this point, just because right. he has that hope for the future. He's not just 
worried about, you know, his own life. He's thinking about other things. Right. Yeah. So it's a real struggle for him. I mean, when is it not? (laughs) But as he's sitting and pondering, it's been two days now and a cloud of dust is coming towards him as he watches the flock. Yeah. And the dust resolves into figures on horseback in an orderly formation. And he knows in his head, he just knows that those are the king's guard. And they draw closer and they are. Riders bypass him and just kind of go into camp. Six of them. And he recognizes one of the horses. Buckskin Colt, Birik had said it would be a good courser someday. And he's just reminded again of what Regal has plundered from Buckkeep and reduced Buck to. And that spark of anger helps him keep silent, grit his teeth, and just became remain calm become right. calm right especially because crease is on his way to fitz to bring him to camp um they the, want to see everyone yeah. they want to make sure that they have seen everybody and so he has to go back and when he gets there and sees the men up close he recognizes one it is bolt yeah and that's the one who broke his nose yes and was you know uh enjoying the fight. Right. Well, I wouldn't call it a fight, but. And Regal was, you know, berating him for breaking a bone on his body and leaving a mark. Exactly. Yeah. He looks over everybody. Bolt does. Fitz, you know, glances down and Bolt just kind of washes his by. gave. Yeah. Gaze just passed right on by there. And he dismisses everyone pretty much. And just says, you know, the men we're looking for are not here and make us a camp, basically. Yep. Yeah, basically do our bidding. You know, we'll take this fire that you made and uh, you'll make us some stew. And <laughs> right. Go about your business, but keep us pampered kind of thing. Yes. And we should mention that the guards aren't being very nice as they're going through the camp and checking everything. They're kind of breaking pottery and going through every inch of everybody's personal belongings, probably taking some in the process. And everybody's a little up in arms. One of the groups that is traveling with them is bloody and bruised. Yeah, the tinkers. Yes. So not everyone is cooperating super well. And I mean, understandably so, these people seem like big jerks, but it again brings home the fact that they're looking for both Chade and Fitz, not just Fitz, which kind of saves him. I think if there was an older, sickly looking man, I don't know, uh, with the group, they would have been way more suspicious of Fitz right away from the get go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, possibly. And so everything kind of settles down into an uneasy routine with the guards over there. Damon says he's going off to bed and Fitz starts to head off and go back to the sheep. But he pauses, looks around and sees a guard staring over uh, by Tassin. Right. And he can't tell if Tassin is looking back or looking at the group as a whole. But he's now a little worried about what could possibly be on her mind. Yep. And so he takes action into his own hands, goes over to Madge's wagon where she is making a soup and offers to help. 
and sits around long enough where she's bothered <laughs> and tells him to go fetch water for her because even though she has it handled, she just wants to get him out. Get him out in a way. Right. So he brings back a pail of water. She dumps it into the soup. He uh, sits around more and then she <laughs> berates him and he backs off and spills another pail of water. So he hauls another one for her. And we know that he has poisoned both of those. So it goes into the soup and the guards eat that soup. Right. Yeah. It's really interesting that this sleight of hand happens because I don't think before we've seen an instance of Fitz poisoning someone where he isn't telling us how he's doing it or when he's doing it. I think every other we, example. We did actually. And uh, his first one with Virago. It was the uh, the dinner conversation. He let his sleeve slip. We are told by Fitz that he dropped his sleeve over the plate slash dr- cup. Yes, but he didn't explicitly say it there until later. And same with this, that mm. he Robin Hobb describes the action that he does and specifically points it out, but doesn't tell us until, you know, a few pages down the line when it occurred. OK, I guess I remember Virago as him doing it in explaining it in the heat of the moment of because we're arguing, nobody's going to notice that my cuff is a little too close to her glass. No, I think, I think that was a couple pages after uh, Mm. when he was like going through it, like, and nobody noticed when I was whatever. Right. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I'm pretty sure that's the only other time that we get like an, in the moment poisoning kind of thing. Otherwise he doesn't really dwell on any of those thoughts. Right. He doesn't take pride in no. any of those things. So, But I think it's fun, kind of. I mean, it is, <laughs> that's not it a is. great no. way to describe no, a murder. But I mean, this is entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> it is It is a fun little thing to notice, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you can point out, like, oh, this is where he did it. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, definitely on the reread is much more fun. And so he goes off and, uh, you know, sits in the blankets for the first watch and mostly watches Starling and Tassin. Starling doesn't take out her harp that night, even though Fitz knows that she could ingratiate herself with a few songs and go over to the guards pretty easily. And he is watching Tassin because Starling is also watching Tassin. So he like notices, like, maybe I don't have to worry about Starling, but we'll keep an eye on Tassin. And Starling even says a few words to the master puppeteer or to Tassin when Tassin gets up in like tries to go yeah yeah. tries to excuse herself with something and she's yelled at so tassin sits back down and glares at starling which is pretty big considering starling just made a whole big hubbub about how she's not going to interfere with the fate and the path that time is going to take she just wants to witness right but she wants to witness a story of greatness not the end of her potential story or song fair enough fair enough she wants a particular song (laughs) And so when it came time for Fitz to relieve Crease watching over the sheep, he goes reluctantly because then he can no longer keep watch on Tassin. So kind of goes out into the middle and he's very hesitant and expectant that she will probably try something in the early morning hours. And he is correct. Yep. He's- he, he also thinks about uh, the six men that he just poisoned down below. Right. If you were, you know kind of paying attention on your first read through, you could kind of think of something about this because it's a weird thought. He says, I had cause for true hatred of only one of them. 
as he was thinking about the six men down below, now sleeping around their fire. I recalled Bolt to myself as he had been then, smirking as he drew on his leather, leather gloves to beat me. And it's, it's just a... It's just a little couple lines there, but it's like, you're six, thinking about the six men, but oh man, I only have cause to truly hate one of them. So it, it sounds guilty in my mind, right. and that could just be rereading on the back end, you know, and well, knowing that he's like, right. Mm. <laughs> At the end of the next paragraph, he also says, Fitzchivalry would not, perhaps, have poisoned all six guards for the sake of killing one. Right. So <laughs> if you had any inkling of something's odd, yeah. He confirms it for you. But he also talks a little bit about how it's a little surprising that Bolt didn't recognize him at all when he so clearly remembers Bolt mm -hmm. and that being in front of him would just, he's just another guy. Yeah. Bolt didn't even recognize his own handiwork, he says. Right. So another, another point to that he is very unrecognizable at this point. Fitz's from where he was beforehand. Right. I do wonder if that's also partially because Bolt doesn't really seem like somebody who knew Fitz before the dungeons. Right. Yeah. And also he beat him up, but if that's the only time you're seeing somebody, it'd be a little different than seeing them in regular clothes, not all bloodied and acting like a normal human, I think. So I, I feel like it might not be just that he looks different because sure. he does. Yeah, it could be. But I think it's also partially like the setting is different. And if you've only known a person in one setting, it's always hard to place them outside of that. Mm -hmm. After he does admit that he poisoned all six, he says, I don't know if that made me wiser or wearier. Perhaps I was both, but it did not make me proud. And then in the early morning, he senses five presences sneaking towards him and thinks that Chade would never have made such a mistake of failing to poison people. Yeah, he, he thinks his poison did not work because apparently he's expecting them all to be dead in the middle of camp. Right. Which that night, not the best planning on his part, because I feel it like that was actually pretty good. It did know? work out perfectly. <laughs> but if they would have died in camp like he was thinking they would. That's right. kind of suspicious. <laughs> I think everybody would then look at him a little bit harder. And so he says he cannot run because maybe, I mean, he could for a little bit, but they have horses, they have water. He would have to come back to water eventually. So it's their game. Like he can't just sprint out into the middle of the wastes with nothing on him. He wouldn't survive long. And so... Uh, to flee as well would be to admit that he was fit chivalry, so he was going to play dumb. He's Tom the Shepherd. So he's going to be like, oh, I'm not him, I'm not him, kind of thing. So they grab him, they bring him back to their camp, and he sees Tassin and her pale face and hair peeking at uh, Fitz from around the end of the puppeteer's wagon. And for a while, Bolt just looks at him, after a time, he pursed his mouth and gave his guards a disgusted look. With a small shake of his head, he let them know, I wasn't what he'd wanted. I dared to take a deeper breath. So even actually studying Fitz, he's like, 
Bolt's like, this isn't the guy at all. So right. he's disgusted at his guards for even entertaining the thought that this young puppeteer's apprentice could be right, you know? Right. So they grab him. He's going to question them uh, and look for, you know, anything that's matching the descriptions. I don't think he was going to question Fitz. It kind of feels like he thinks better of just letting it go after. Just because Fitz dares to take a deeper breath and then. What's your name? Bolt suddenly demanded of me sharply. After he just was disgusted and shaking his head. I feel like maybe he noticed Fitz relax a little and was like, maybe "Mm, something's off or he's here anyway. Let's just question him. I took it as like, I'll do my duty kind of thing and follow up on this. But that could be true. I guess I just because he so immediately went from like, this obviously isn't him to wait a second. What is your name? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But again, for the third time this chapter, he says like, oh, I'm just Tom the, the shepherd. I got these, you know, these scars and different things. It wasn't, you know, I'm not the bastard. I'm not Fitz. Right. What raises the suspicion is that he has a buck accent. Yep. And Bolt notes that. And when Fitz tries to say, well, I was from there. I just times are hard. It's. Too much of a coincidence, I think, because really how many men out there have a broken nose and scar the way Fitz does? Maybe a lot. I don't know. I don't know what society is like here, but it's pretty good odds that a person from Buck, even if they don't look exactly like the Fitz he remembers, could be the person. Right. So this is where he takes off his kerchief. He plucked out some of his white hairs and tries to explain that away as well. So he's denying all of these different things. He's explaining away his scars and his appearance to Bolt. And all of a sudden Bolt is like, take off your shirt. And Fitz is here thinking, oh, now I have to explain away my, you know, the uh, the sword cut on my arm as well. Right. When Bolt looks at the place between uh, his shoulder and his neck and sees the scar of the forged one who had bit him earlier. Right. And can positively identify Fitz from that scar because it's very unique. Right. It was a human bite. And he notes that he noticed it whenever the first time he had knocked Fitz out onto the ground in Mm -hmm. the dungeons. He looked at the men standing around us, surprise and delight still on his face. It's him. We've got him. The king's got his skill wizard spread from the mountains to the coast looking for him, and he falls like fruit into our hands. Understand me, he brought his face close to mine as he hissed. Verde was a friend. It's not a hundred gold pieces for you alive that keeps me from killing you here. It's only my faith that my king can come up with more interesting ways for you to die than I can improvise here. You're mine again, bastard. In the circle. Or as much of you as my king leaves for me anyway. And Fitz sticks to it, saying it's a mistake, it's a mistake, and everything. And Madge steps forward suddenly and asks, You're certain of this man? She asked him directly. He met her eyes, captain to captain. I am. It's the wit bastard. A look of total disgust crossed Madge's face. Then take him and welcome to him. She turned on her heel and walked away. Everybody kind of acts like they didn't know Fitz at all. It's really sad because they turn on him so quickly, but I do have to remind myself that 
He wasn't really friendly with any of these people, save maybe Starling. Well, and also all the stories, even if they were friendly with everybody, they would still right. turn on him instantly. <laughs> right. Well, you would think if maybe he had ingrained himself as part of the group a little stronger, maybe there would be more hesitation. But yeah, essentially, they're all kind of brainwashed inlanders. So, of course, they're going to think that he's the crazy beast magic wielding bastard. I mean, even I would hazard a guess even in Buck, there's not going to be very many people who would help him, to be honest. I think Mm. I think the the wit is too misunderstood. Yeah. Runs too deep in the six statues in general. Mm. I guess I would think that maybe in Buck he'd have an easier time. Maybe if only because people would just think Regal is a liar. Right, yeah. They would, like, he never died, obviously. How else would he be here? I would hope so, at least. Yeah. (laughs) Or he faked his death for to get away from Regal. I feel like they would be more likely to buy it wasn't beast magic at all if he decided to come back. You know, I don't know if that Mm -hmm. makes sense, but I feel like the people of Buck looked more favorably on him anyway. And so they would be more likely to, I'm sure there are still some, especially for a hundred gold, a lot of people would turn, but yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I don't know. Fitz finds an opportunity to break free and try to make a run for it, but gets hit on the head from a slingman and hit on the, uh, shoulder, I believe, as well. Yeah, shoulder first. Yep. And then... Gets knocked out. hmm And when he wakes up, he is shackled. And he said nothing, did nothing, just remained there. He couldn't really do anything else. And Bolt notices he's awake, demands that Fitz say something, and Fitz just says, you've got the wrong man, and sticks to that. That's his story. And Bolt just eventually kind of says, well, if we've got the wrong guy, that sucks for you. So how did you do it? How did you, you know, stay alive or come back to life? How how was it you didn't stay dead is the exact quote. (laughs) And Fitz recalls the advice he was given by Chade that a man in interrogation, as long as he knows what he is going to say, is less likely to give up information he doesn't want to. You just have to focus on what you will say. And for whatever reason, even though he knows it's stupid because clearly he is the right fits, he just keeps saying you have the wrong man. And this causes anger in Bolt. He is beating Fitz. And this makes some of the other guards step in and say, hey, we're supposed to keep him alive. Remember, I wouldn't stop you except it's 100 gold on the line. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not great. He takes another swing and Fitz is knocked out again. Mm-hmm. Fitz does talk about feeling numb through this. Like he he doesn't have a lot of fear reactions that are coming through. It's more just numbness and like I just have to focus on what I will say. He's just trying to get through this. And I almost wonder if this is from the trauma of already having lived this. And I really feel bad for him for going through this again and at the hand of a perpetrator he already knows is brutal. Right. Yeah, exactly. So when he comes awake again for the second time, he can only really feel pain. And he says, I felt curiously detached from my situation. I listened for a time with no desire at all to open my eyes. 
The caravan was getting ready to move on. I could hear Master Dell yelling at Tassin, who was crying that it was her money by right, that if he'd only help her get it, he could have his prentice fee back and full welcome to it. He ordered her to get in the wagon. Instead, I heard her footsteps crunching across the dry earth as she hurried over to me. But it was Bolt she spoke to in a whining voice. I was right. You didn't believe me, but I was right. I found him for you. If it weren't for me, you'd have ridden off after looking right at him. That gold is mine by right, but I'll give you half and be more than happy. That's better than fair for you. You know it is. I'd get in that wagon where I you. Bolt answered her coldly. Otherwise, once it leaves and we leave, you're left with nothing but a long walk. And so what came to pass with what Starling said, or what she predicted, came to pass, actually, with the guards just kind of taking the glory for themselves. Screw anybody else who brought them any information, because they're not the ones who captured and brought them to the king. The guards will be. Right. Also, I don't think we really touched on it, but during the conversation with starling she specifically said that she was worried about tassin because she's young and naive enough not to understand the way of the world right or how the guards work right so she probably (laughs) did believe she would get that 100 gold all to herself which even that is pretty far-fetched you have like six other people helping you get him to the king you're not getting 100 gold no but She's just so obsessed with getting out of this apprenticeship that she just decides that who cares about somebody's life if I can have money, mm-hmm. which is horrible. But also she's 16, doesn't really know this guy and is in a situation she doesn't want to be in. Well, what she knows about him is that he is a traitor to the king. She that he, you know, murdered people that he came back to life with an evil magic. Right. And she's also in a horrible situation where she's incredibly lonely and he refused her. So there's probably a little personal vendetta there, too. So right. What she knows about him. Perfectly willing to give him up, you know, for that. <laughs> true, gold. true. It just ugh, it feels so bad to ha- see another character make a heartbreaking choice like that. Heartbreaking in the sense of. It's not something I would choose to do, even if I didn't like the person (laughs) like nobody. I don't want anybody's death on my hands personally, even for like, I assume what would be like a hundred thousand dollars. Not really my thing. I don't know. (laughs) And so they decide to saddle up, get Fitz on a horse because it'd be too slow otherwise for him to walk. And they're asking about uh, where the other guard is. Because they're missing somebody. And we learned that Arno is... Relieving <laughs> himself. Scrub, yeah, off in the scrub, sir. His guts ain't too well today. He was up and down all night dumping his sack. Gross. Yeah, he's throwing <laughs> up everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so Bolt says, like, get him. It's no problem of mine. And Fitz is thinking to himself, endure. I told myself, surly, live and see what chances are offered you. I dropped my hands to find Bolt watching me. As for water, gets that. He notices that his things are missing. He doesn't have a shirt on because they took that off to discover his scar. Was not given that back. So he's in a bad shape. He's hurting all over. His shoulder from the sling is killing him. His ribs hurt because he probably got kicked while he was unconscious. He's bruised and beaten around the face. Can't open really one eye right and he's feeling a little bad for himself because 
not only did the poison not work, he thinks, but only one person is getting basically a stomach flu out of it. Yeah, exactly. So no better than food poisoning, which mm-hmm. is not fatal. So not also I want to know how much Arno ate of this soup because it does kill all the guards. We know that. Right. But like it affects him real bad for like hours before anybody else is affected. Right. Well, Right, but even if he ate more than everybody else, it would still have to digest, you right, think. Yeah. So maybe His he ate first. Is super or, fast. or that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. More cinematically pleasing, I suppose. <laughs> he does make a note of saying, I caught one glimpse of Starling's face, but could not read her expression. And I do want to point out that because next chapter, I believe it's next chapter, when he does get to Blue Lake and they he and Starling meet up again, she does make mention and a comment of when they dragged you off, I thought you were Tom the Shepherd and you were very just very unlucky because I didn't think fit chivalry would go that quietly and easily. Womp so womp. like here when she's watching him go away, she's like, oh, well, I followed the wrong person, I guess. Yeah. So that's what she's thinking right there. But also that's oh, so insane to me because she was so sure and these people are very sure, even if he keeps acting like he's innocent. Well, Nobody else is convinced that it's she, not him. She's so sure because she puts on that confidence in her front and her face and presents that to him, right? She's still probing to get that confirmation from him pretty much all the time in all of the right. conversations. So I don't know. when he stubbornly sticks to, I am not, I am not, even when he's getting beaten up. And she probably hears that. I suppose. But nobody else believes that he's not. Like everybody else is turning away from him. So why would you? I don't know. I don't know. I just don't like it. But I guess what would she do? She's not really trained in combat. So. Oh, yeah. No, she's definitely not going to try to help. Right. (laughs) Against six, you know, King's guards. Yeah. Better to stay. I'm glad she stays alive. But also do something. Somebody, please. He's also wondering here if he should hope to get to Tradeford alive or try to to get them to kill him before they get there. So he's he's again kind of detached. Right. Like he says he's distanced himself from this weirdly, but he's also thinking like which one would be better, you know? <laughs> right. He's been through this too many times yep. to really not think about death, I think. Yeah. And he tries to reach out to the horse that he's riding with the wit, but she doesn't seem to have much interest in him. He smells like sheep too much. She's very well trained. So, right. you know, screw any attempt to try <laughs> to sway her over to his side. Yes. We also have Bolt asking again what he did to survive. Yeah. How did he do it? Fitz refuses to answer anything at all. And Bolt just replies with, well, it won't happen twice. Yep. Makes a threat at him and then moves on. Yep. And so they travel. The morning was not even half gone when Arno had his friend halt for the third time. They've stopped periodically here. He slipped down from the horse's back, staggered a few steps away to vomit. He doubled up, holding his aching guts as he did so, and then suddenly fell forward on his face in the dirt. One of the other guards laughed aloud. But when Arno only rolled over groaning, Bolt ordered Joff to see what ailed him. We all watched as Joff dismounted and took water to Arno. Arno could not take the proffered water bottle, and when Joff put it to his mouth, the water just ran over his chin. He turned his head aside from it slowly and closed his eyes. After a moment, Joff looked up, her eyes wide with disbelief. He's dead, sir. Joff's voice went a little 
bit shrill on the words. They scraped out a shallow grave for him and heaped rocks over the top. Two more guards had vomited before the burial was complete. Bad water was the consensus, though I caught Bolt looking at me with narrowed eyes. They got on the horse, headed out again, and they uh, halted briefly for a rest, but it turned into a longer one because as soon as they dismounted, people just started like throwing up and were super weak. Right. And they couldn't even like take care of their horses or anything like that. Right. And through this, Fitz is starting to try to act like he also doesn't feel well. Yep. Even though people are starting to get very suspicious that he is behind it, he wants to save off any blows that might come his way, Mm -hmm. whatever way possible. They get going again, but at a gentler pace. And all of a sudden, Joff falls from her saddle into the dust. And Bolt just says, you know, make camp despite the hour, the early hour. And everyone kind of goes off on their own way to retch into uh, bushes and everything like that. Right. And eventually it was Bolt who walked back to cut Fitz's wrists loose from the saddle pommel. He gave a tug at my chain and I all but fell down on top of him. I staggered away a few steps, then sank down, my hands over my belly. He came to hunker down beside me. He grabbed the back of my neck, gripped it tightly. But I could feel his strength was not what it had been. What do you think, bastard? He asked me in a hoarse growl. He was very close to me, and his breath and body stank of sickness. Was it bad water, or something else? Fitz makes... uh an acting move to fake puke on him. Bolt moves away. Right. And it works for now. And two more guards die in this night. Yep. Fitz is just saying that odd pains are bothering him. Wrists were chafed raw from the shackles, uh, but they hurt less than his shoulder, which he was pretty sure that the broad blade of his shoulder was fractured which would hurt a lot. Right. And uh, eventually Bolt came staggering over with his eyes sunken, cheeks drawn with his misery. Fell to his knees beside Fitz and grabbed his hair. Are you dying, bastard? He asked me hoarsely. I moaned again and tried feebly to pull free of, of him. It seemed to satisfy him. Good. Good then. Some were saying it was the wit magic you'd put on us, bastard. But I think bad water can kill a man, be he witted or honorable. Still... Let's be sure of it this time. It was my own knife he drew out. As he dragged back on my hair to expose my throat, I brought up my shackled hands to crash the chain against his face. At the same time, I repelled at him with all the strength of wit I could muster. He fell back from me. He crawled a few paces away, then fell on his side in the sand. I heard him breathing heavily. After a time, he stopped. I closed my eyes, listening to that silence, feeling the absence of his life like sunlight on my face. So Fitz once again narrowly escapes death. Yep. Very narrowly. (laughs) Yes. It's almost like it's a, you know, book timing or movie timing right there. (laughs) No, it can't possibly be protagonist plot armor. (laughs) But he makes it. He stays in the sand for a little while longer. And when the sun is up in the sky, he decides he needs to get up and start trying to get out of the out of his shackles. Mm -hmm. So he crawls over to Bolt and does not find any keys. But he does find his earring, his earring from Burek, which 
once he realized it was gone, he was very upset about. And knowing that it was back gave him a big sense of relief and he ended, ends up immediately putting it on. Yep. He says, uh, once you've poisoned a man, I reflected, you might as well rob him as well. So he grabs pretty much anything right. he can from Bolt, but he's still looking for the key. So he's trying to find the person who shackled him and just looking at all the bodies around. Right. He also makes the comment, honor no longer seemed to have much to do with my life. Yeah. Which is so sad. Also, yeah, rob all of them. I don't know. They probably have money on them. <laughs> you know they do. They probably just robbed all those people. So I don't think they had honor in their life either. I Look. They're dead anyway. <laughs> they're in yeah, the middle of a desert. They're not, not going to use it. Take there's it. No, uh, there's no fee for the underground river in this culture, you know? Right. Sharon doesn't need to be paid. <laughs> you know, you're fine. Just Ida, the L, they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Throw them to sea, you know? L would yeah. appreciate that, I'm sure. So, I don't know. I just wish Fitz would be a little bit more thorough when he goes through the pockets, but whatever. <laughs> I think he does take all the money, but he says, I could grab all the jewelry and stuff, too, but I don't want to. Right, right. <laughs> he hears some noise and a boy comes, uh, one of the guards, uh, but a boy walks over to him and says, your life for mine, he croaked. He was swaying where he stood. I made no response. He tried again. Water and the key to your bonds. Any horse you want to take. I won't fight you. Only lift your wit curse off me. He looked so young and pitiful standing there. Please, he begged me abruptly. I found myself shaking my head slowly. It was poison, I told him. There's nothing I can do for you. He stared at me bitterly, incredulous. Then I have to die? Today? His words came out in a dry whisper. His dark eyes locked to mine. I found myself nodding. Damn you, he shrieked the words, burning whatever life strength he had left. Then you die too. You die right here. He flung the key from us as far as he could, then staggered off in a feeble run, squawking and flailing at the horses. The beasts had stood all night unpicketed, had even waited all morning hoping for grain and water. They were well-trained animals. But the smell of sickness and death and this boy's incomprehensible behavior were too much for them. When he screamed suddenly and then fell face down amongst them, a big gray gelding threw up his head, snorting. I sent calming thoughts toward him, but he had thoughts of his own. He pranced nervously away, then suddenly decided this was a good decision and broke into a canter. The other horses followed his lead. Their horses were not a thundering on the plain. Rather, they were the diminishing pattern, patter of a rainstorm as it vanishes, taking all hope of life with it. Right, so... This kid, slash probably the same age as Fitz, yeah. is desperate and angry, which I have mixed feelings about. I kind of feel like he's probably not that great of a person if he's part of the Pharaoh guard. Like, I think to be at that level of guard, you have to be kind of a crap person, especially to be okay with all of the things that they seem to do. But... Also, he is a teen. Yeah, it's not necessarily that he could have been a crap person, but he's influenced by what he knows about this person and how he's treated. Doesn't really care. He just wants him right. alive for well, 100 gold, you know? Well, I'm not even talking about how he's treating Fitz. I'm talking about this guard as a whole and how they treat the people of the inland duchies, let alone any other duchy. 
like they're not great. They rob people all the time. They beat people up that they don't like. They're just a bunch of bullies. So even without Fitz in the equation, I don't think he's probably making the best life choices, (laughs) but he's also a kid. And like you said, influenced by what he knows. So he didn't really get a chance to grow to become better. But I do kind of feel like Fitz could have tricked him and made up some mumbo jumbo to get the key and water and a horse. He could have said, "Okay, ooh, he's going to die anyway. It's not like he can tell somebody that the wrong thinking of the wit magic. I just don't understand Fitz's honesty here. Doesn't have it in him, I guess. I don't know. Didn't think <laughs> it all the way bad. through. Yeah. yeah. And he does. He says, the boy did not move again, but it was a time before he died. I had to listen to his soft weeping as I searched for the key. I wanted desperately to go look for water skins instead, but I feared that if I turned away from the area he had thrown it, I should never be able to. De- I would never be able to decide which unremarkable stretch of sand held my salvation. Even after the sound of his weeping became too soft to hear, even after he died, I heard it still inside my mind. Sometimes I still can. Another young life ended senselessly, to no profit, as a result of Regal's vendetta with me, or perhaps because of mine with him. So he does, you know, probably feel really bad and guilty about this at the moment and just is straight up with him like, no, I... I can't help you. I'm sorry. I don't want to give you false hope kind of thing. And it does haunt him. That's fair enough. And I mean, thinking about him as a child, I mean, a teen, I guess it is. It would be really hard to look at a teen who is clearly on the edge of death and lie straight to their face. But I feel like for survival purposes, this kid was literally about to turn him in for gold. He wouldn't have cared if Fitz died. It, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It just. It's Fitz, though. It's not. I mean, Yeah, he is a hero, so he can't. Well, he's he's a kid who values life more suited to be a healer than an assassin. Right. And he's haunted by past decisions and he he doesn't want to kill anyone with you know, impunity except for Regal and the Coterie. And I suppose. the people who personally affected him. affected him in the dungeon. Like, he just doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. Either way, it's just a rough scene. Yeah. He finds the key. He does. He opens it up. He, you know, one of the, his ankles was so tight, the shackles on his ankles was so tight that it had gone numb and cold. So there's bad sores and chafing on all of his extremities. He's been beaten up a lot. He's going through to find water from all of the guards that have died. But most of them have dumped out their water skins because they all thought it was bad water that were killing them. And he collects a flask of brandy from Bolt's saddlebag and gets some some money as well. Yes, he also does manage to get three good gulps of water. Yes. So three total gulps of water. That's not very much. No. He robs the dead. He gets, you know, some clothes back. He gets a cloak. He gets some, you know, um, an old sword, dried meat, grain, lentils, peas, looking glass, small kettle, mug, spoon, sturdy blanket, 
the things that he needs to survive. Right. He also grabs bandaging and salve. Mm-hmm. Overall, he says, I could have gone over over the bodies for money and jewelry. I could have burdened myself with a dozen other, perhaps useful possessions. I found I wanted only to replace what I'd had and to be away from the smell of the bloating bodies. So he takes uh, Bolt's money and stuff, but he doesn't go over any of the other bodies. Right. Only because Bolt's money was mixed with his own, though. But there's money probably there if it's... Like you were just talking like last chapter about how you need all the money you can get for the future and for your daughter's future and that you're going to work your way back to, yeah. you know, back to Buck. What does instead it matter? Yeah. The money you have. What does it matter if you spend their money to get back to Buck and then have all that silver left for your daughter? You know, at this point, you think you're going to become a new man, which is great. Uh, do that after you've done this horrible thing mm-hmm. and take all their money because that's their payment for ruining your life. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm not a very good person. <laughs> <laughs> well, he collects his bundle. He makes it small and as tight as he could, cinching it with leather straps from the horse's harnesses. And when he lifted it to his shoulder, it still felt much too heavy. My brother? The query seemed tentative, faint, with more than distance, with disuse as if a man spoke in a language he had not used in many years. I live, Night Eyes. Stay with your pack and live also. Do you not need me? I felt his twinge of conscience as he asked this. I always need you. I need to know you are alive and free. I sensed his faint assent, but little more than that. After a time, I wondered if I had not imagined his touch against my mind but I felt oddly strengthened as I walked away from the bodies into the deepening night. Touch less lonely as he walks away. Yeah. It's a good thing that he got some contact there, you know, from Night Eyes. Yeah. A little reaching out. Lifts fits his spirits a little bit, maybe. Yes, he, he definitely deserved that. You know, maybe he's it. feeling a little happy. You know, he got out alive. <laughs> the guy that he hates is dead. Yeah. Night Eyes reached back nice. out. He's not completely not his wolf anymore. Well, you know? <laughs> he did have to tell somebody a little younger than him, presumably, straight to his face he's dying. True. And listen to him cry himself to True. death. True. So, um. Feeling guilty, but maybe happy <laughs> for an instant. <laughs> I feel like you're really, really pushing. I'm reaching for something here. (laughs) But that makes another, you know, escapade for the witted bastard, the chivalry farseer and his legend surrounding him. Walking away from it, it like conflates to 12 dead guards or something later with, you know, animal marks on him (laughs) and stuff. So, yeah, it's. Yeah. Oh, Fitz. I think reading this chapter, I'm reminded that there are a lot of things that happen in this book specifically that I don't specifically remember. Um, Just from thinking back and thinking like, oh, what's going to happen next? Like, I know some of the big plot points that are going to happen, but maybe because the, the this is the first series, it's not as clear in my mind as like the last series events. Yeah. But it's really crazy because I do remember that, like, there was an incident with this where the guard, you know, the guards almost get him. But 
I didn't really remember it until we got to the desert even. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, there's going to be like mm-hmm. people that get him, I think. Yeah. And I don't know. I How does he get out of it. <laughs> I thought this book started to be 100% honest. I thought this book started like with Fitz coming back out of being a wolf, but then immediately he's in the mountain. Like in my brain, this like <laughs> in no between, journey. this like 20 chapters in between <laughs> the start of a book and when he actually gets to the mountain didn't happen. So it's been very fun to reread and be like, oh, yeah, (laughs) I know what's going to (laughs) happen. Well, thanks so much for tuning in and listening this week. If you have anything to say to us, please let us know at isfitshappy at gmail.com. Or you can message us at isfitshappy at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We really appreciate everyone sharing this podcast out to fellow Realm of the Elderling lovers who have read the books before. And we appreciate all of your uh, reviews and ratings on all of the different platforms as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. 